I'm going to be very candid with you. We are living in a computer program. Welcome, everyone, to Simulation Nation, your portal to all things virtual. I'm your host, Graham Tallman, and I'm here to keep you informed about all that's happening in virtual reality. We record our episodes live in Altspace almost every week, and you can join us from your PC or VR headset. Just log into Altspace, join our Simulation Nation channel, and teleport in to offer your opinion, question, or whatever else. For our third episode in our Virtual Money series, where we talk about developments in the crypto world, I am joined by co-host and crypto magnet dan coin yo 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 thank you and uh with us today is a very special guest uh regen networks founder gregory landua i don't know mm-hmm. do i have yep. that right yep, yep. okay uh so regen aligns economics with ecology uh, to drive regenerative land management while utilizing the blockchain to create trust that their investment is making real impact ladies and gentlemen gregory all right. Thanks, Graham. Awesome. Uh, uh, hey, Dan. Good to see you guys. Hello. Uh, hello. Yeah. Excited yeah. to chat. Yeah, we 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 were starting to do this in alt space. We were in avatar form. We had some uh, glitches, but it's very nice to see that you are real and Dan is real, and uh, we could we have much better resolution on a computer screen than we do in virtual reality so far. <laughs> yeah, we had to back up, back up. It's still a little bit of a simulacrum here on Zoom, but you know, it's uh, it's it's good. It's good to connect. Exactly, and I think that we've got like three different time zones happening here too, right? You're on the East Coast, Dan. You're on the West Coast. I'm on the West Coast, yep. Yeah, I'm I'm now in the West West Coast, so I've uh, relocated to Hawaii. So we've got all of America covered from the Westest Coast to the East Coast. Oh, nice. wow. Exciting. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right on. Cool. So Transcontinental. Um, I like it. What's that? Transcontinental. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, Greg, we know you're a super busy guy, so we'll just dive right in. You, I, I saw on your website that you guys are launching in, what is it, 13 days now? Something like that? Yeah. Uh, uh, 14 days on the 15th, uh, April 15th, uh, we should be launching mainnet, which is really exciting. Um, you know, uh, there's going to be a gradual, that will be a big milestone. It'll be a big deal to be live and have the community governing the blockchain and, uh, that step, uh, you know, another step down the road and it'll still be a long road ahead after that. There's a lot to come. Right. I bet. So I guess before we get into all that exciting stuff, uh, what I think the listeners want to know is the origin story of Gregory Landua. So uh, maybe you could give us a little bit of your background. How did you get into uh, blockchain and crypto? And how did you um, get us to the point where we are here, where you're about to launch your own um, project on the blockchain? Yeah. Um, gosh, how did I get into blockchain and crypto? Well, um, yeah, I think actually just, just recently Dan was hearing a little glimmer of the the beginnings of the origin story. Uh, we were chatting before this call, uh, with my co-founder Christian who, um, yeah, he and he and his friend, my our mutual friend Brecht, the three of us all uh, permaculture designers doing permaculture design um, for a living. And um, one uh, of the I, 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 I'm sorry, I have to introduce already. I don't know what that is. Perma permaculture, permaculture. Yeah. So uh, permaculture is the art and science of creating 
agriculture and other sort of human in environmental interfaces, housing, agriculture, forestry, in a way that meets human needs while increasing ecological health. And so permaculture is a whole design science. Uh, you know, as a permaculture practitioner, I kind of traveled around the world, world and did consulting and design work for farmers. Um, yeah, so there's a whole story there about that part of my life. I spent about 12 years with that as sort of my vocation, uh, working with farmers all around the world. And, uh, and Christian, my co-founder and I, um, did that work uh, along with our, our other co-founder Brecht, who is no longer really active in the day-to-day in region network, but is still a pretty tight community member. And so the two of them actually were uh, running a, a permaculture education center in Thailand called the Panya project. And um, an anonymous member of the group that launched Ethereum was uh, a student of theirs and became close friends of theirs and started sort of like slowly tugging them into the crypto world. And uh, um, I actually flew out to to Thailand. Brecht and I had some work together in Vietnam um, and we sort of jammed together and had a fantastic time. And uh, yeah, so it was a slow process for all of us to, um, yeah, sort of be pulled from the um, ecological side of things into the crypto side of things. So what, what year was that again? So that was 20... 14, you said? Uh, when I got, I mean, when Christian and Brecht got into crypto, yeah, it might have been 2014. You know, I think I bought my first crypto like early 2016. Okay, cool. Um, so. What was it? Was it Bitcoin? Was it Ethereum? What was it? Yeah, I bought some Bitcoin. I bought some Ethereum. Cool. Uh, I didn't do anything with it. I just bought some. And hopefully you held on to it safely and securely and you're still holding on to it. I I held on. Well, you know, I did some, I, I let some go. I did some things with it. I did this, I did that, I did the other. You know, I think I'm, I'm very grateful for having gotten in at that time. It's been, uh, yeah, uh, tr- transformational to my ability to do what I love in the world and take care of my family. And yeah, so... Um, but I, I can't say I was wise enough to to just hold on to it, just total. The whole, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't just total. Um, right. But but net net, I think you know, I think I'm I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it, it's pretty cool though that you could be sort of in, in these places, Thailand, Vietnam, that you would you know, and involved in agriculture and things like that, and that's where you came across this cutting edge technology. It's yeah. like it's sort of permeating the globe, right? Like that's almost the spot that you'd least expect, and so it just sort of like was kismet or something that it. Well, kind yeah, of came. yeah, totally. Well, you know, permaculture is pretty. Um pretty hip, I guess, in, in terms of, you know, there's a reason why, uh, you know, there, there was like a, a crypto OG in a permaculture course, because permaculture fundamentally is about, it has similar values of sort of sovereignty and, um, and, and community. Sometimes there's a tension or a paradox there, but, you know, you know, crypto is all about open source 
Uh, permaculture is all about open source information sharing about what works and how to, you know, and so there, there's complexity, there's similar, you know, there, there's some intersections, even though one is very much in the virtual world and very much, you know, sort of the cypherpunk ethos, you know, permaculture has its own sort of punk ethos, maybe more solar punk. So there's, there's, a, there's a fair bit of overlap, I think, in communities there. And I think Region Network, you know, the project that I, that I founded is that, you know, re really represents that overlap, maybe aesthetically, ethically, and in terms of what we're trying to build. And, you know, I have to say back then when I was diving in um, and learning more, learning more about, it was in the very, you know, learning more about Ethereum in the very early days, learning more about some of the very early sort of ICO projects that were happening. Um, Gollum and, you know, um, <clears throat> these super early, early projects, we were actively thinking, how would this, how would this way of bringing people, you know, it was, it's really started thinking a lot about this just after the DAO hack, but the DAO, on Ethereum represented this ethos of bringing people together and this desire to fund something revolutionary and something transformational. And so that, that part of the Ethereum world, which is, it's a little different from Bitcoin, right? Where, where there is this sort of like avant-garde cooperative, we're going to change the world in this way. Um, yeah, something about that really resonated. Also, something about it was very, I, I was very skeptical of. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it took me a full, you know, it took me a, a, a while. I, I mean, I think, gosh, my, my date, my timelines are a little fuzzy because we're in crazy crypto warp, warp speed time now. So I, I don't really right. know exactly what the dates were here, but um, it took, took me what felt like a while to sort of be like, okay, there's a way to do this with integrity. And there's a way to use this technology to bring people together, to build community. And there's like an overlap between the cypherpunk and the solar punk and the ecology and, you know, the, the technosphere and the biosphere. And there's a way to sort of fuse this together. And, um, yeah. And I, you know, over time I became more and more I had more and more conviction that it, it, it wasn't just something that could be done. It was something that had to be done. And um, yeah. And so region network was born out of that kind of mixture. Very cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've heard this before, you know, from you and it just blows my mind. Like, like Graham was saying, you were working on the earth, you know, like your, your mission is to, to kind of save the planet. And then you've got, crypto i mean it's just two different worlds you know that that really people don't think about ever like i i never thought that gardening and farming and forestry and 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 you know agriculture all that had you know crypto had a place in that i, I couldn't have even imagined it like and and you had the foresight in the beginning i think it's incredible and so when, so I know the timeline's a little fuzzy. So when did you have the spark for Regen and, and to, to bring us to where we are now? How long is that process just for those people out there who are? Well, I know, yeah, exactly the moment that I had the, I had been thinking about it for a while and doing some design and, um, 
and you know what happened is i i uh went on paternity leave for my the arrival of my son and he came into the world and you know i was sort of being a dad and taking taking this little bundle on long walks and i was so i was going on long walks and thank goodness it was before i discovered podcasts and audiobooks and other media so it was just me and the walk in in like the woods and my little son and i was had time and i had taken time away from my you know day-to-day job my the hustle you know i was hustling hard and i took you know, I took a few months. I actually, I ran a GoFundMe campaign and raised like three grand, you know, uh, one grand a month to like, be like, I can, you know, cover groceries for a few months before I got to get back to the hustle. Um, this was April of 2017. So, uh, the other things that were happening in April of 2017, as people may remember is like, you know, the, the early days of 2017 was the beginning of that first big bull run. Yeah. Um, that big cycle and ICOs were pumping and, you know, and there were, had been some beforehand, but that was really when we hit the like inflection point and, you know, you check markets from one day to the next and be like, Whoa, what the hell's happening? And so I was like, huh, there's something here, right? There's something very interesting. And I've always been fascinated with economics, uh, alternative economics, um, complementary currencies. Um, you know, I, I, used to do a lot of business planning for farms. And I used to do a lot of, I I always had this vision of, um, you know, some sort of financial system in which, you know, here's the vision, right? Is what if just by transacting and being human and living in society and just doing the day-to-day things that we do to find meaning and connect with people and consume and eat eat food and have fun and drink wine or whatever it is that we're doing. What if the net result of all of that, just being humanness was a regenerating planet? You know, what if just intrinsically it wasn't this like moral struggle that like, Oh, I, you know, I'm doing ecological sin and I've got to make up for my ecological sin. And just like, what if the, what if we could bake in to the incentives and the financial and the monetary system, what it meant to just like have a reciprocal and regenerative relationship with the planet and put the the right boundaries in place and the right incentives in place. So that isn't just this like total sort of like stress ball all the time on us. Right. Um, Stressful on us, but also on the on the planet too, right? For sure. (laughs) Yeah, I mean that's the real, yeah, Yeah. word. So, I mean that's that was a question that I was holding. Right? Is is that possible? You know, I have this idea that at the end of the day, a monetary system, you know, money is a meme. Money is we choose to imbue value into a, a currency, a medium of exchange, and a store of value. Gold is just shiny, you know, um, people, indigenous people used cacao, right? Um, I love cacao. I could tell tell all sorts of stories about chocolate and cacao. Mm -hmm. Indigenous people used wampum beads, you know, silver, dollars. What are dollars backed by? Bitcoin. Okay. You start to see there is this pattern. Money's a meme. These, These ideas were bouncing around. I was going on long walks with my kid. It was like week three or four, you know, of having a little baby boy and revisioning, you know, and wanting to have a transformational, you know, 
a, a world. I want a world for him to like grow up in. And it just hit me wholesale. Like I remember where I was in the woods and the whole thing just sort of like was there. And it was about what, what would it take for money to be, um, sourced from backed by and, um, um, yeah, sourced from and backed by ecological health so that the healthier the ecosystem, the, 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 the more money and supply there is for, for transacting and engaging in that. And, you know, the prerequisites for that, the prerequisite infrastructure for that, what is that? It just, you know, it's sort of like super clear what that was. And, um, you know, and so that's what, that's been the guiding vision. You know, I, I think, uh, we're still a long way from that because it's a big undertaking. It's a big infrastructural and societal overhaul, right? It's not something that happens overnight. Um, but, uh, that's, that was the sort of compelling vision that, that had me say, yes, I'm going to just, you know, sort of like go for broke, you know, I'm going to put my own livelihood and my time and, you know, just everything on the table and just say, you know, I'm going to take a crack at it and see what happens. It's an incredible yes. story. <laughs> it really is. Like, it just blows my mind, you know? I mean, and I, I see where you're at now, you know, and when you said, it, you know, it started in 2016, is that, that's when you, when you had your son, right? 2017. 2017. Yeah. And then you had that vision and now it's been four years and you're less than two weeks away from making this major step, you know, this, I mean, it's a, a huge step. It's pretty surreal. And, it's, uh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's been a long haul uh, it's with lots of, you know, doubters and haters and, uh, you know, just um, and self-doubt and just like the whole creative process. It's just been a long <laughs> it's been a long and haul. The, and the bear market where there was a lot of doubt in the bear market. Is oh, totally. Ethereum going to come back? It was under a hundred dollars at one point. It was almost, 88 right? bucks. 88 man. bucks. It was, 88 it was bucks. like. It's we survived. We, I mean, we survived and honestly kind of thrived. I actually like the bear market was great because what happened is it just shook out the, you know, in the middle of a in a, the middle of a bull market, everybody wants to be your partner and everybody's got something that they're shilling. And it's just impossible to discern between this project and that project and these things. And it's all happening. And you can't tell who is in it for some intrinsic reason that's unshakable that like, it doesn't matter if they go broke, they're doing it because they really believe that this is going to have a, a positive impact on the world. Those, those people are the ones that you want to like have in your community and, you know, um, and partner with and do business with and co-develop, you know, you want the, you don't want the fair weather friends. You want people who are sort of going to stick around through thick and thin, you know, that's the sort of saying. And so going through that bear market cycle was just fantastic. I, I, honestly, it was just really great. And just, you know, and what do you do when it's not a giant hype cycle? You just have to build and work, yeah. work and provide value for your community and just roll your sleeves up and like, you know, I always say like, roll, we got to just roll our sleeves up, take the trash out, do the dishes, like just be useful. That's what it takes. Um, there's a, just as an aside, you know, I'm, a, I'm an ecologist. I'm, I'm a sort of a, that's my 
that's my world, that's my background. And there's this common misunderstanding about uh, Darwin and sort of Darwinism and evolutionary theory and sort of social Darwinism. There's this, you know, the, I'm sure all of the listeners have heard the phrase survival of, of the fittest. Um, oh, yeah. That's not actually, if you read Darwin, if you just go and read um, The Origin of Species, what Darwin said is the survival of the fit. And what he was talking about was how well an organism fits in and sort of cooperates or has functional connections with the ecosystem that they're in. How many other species depend on that organism? is what determines if it has evolutionary success. It's not like this right. red and tooth and claw, how much do you dominate the ecosystem? Those species just go extinct. Right. <laughs> the species that stay forever essentially are symbiotic. And that doesn't mean that they don't eat each other. It just means that the net result of their relationship is that, that there's more health systemically, right? right? And if you think about that in business, like the businesses that succeed, that really the businesses that succeed are the ones that provide the most um, benefit for, for people, for human beings, really. Like, and the businesses that shortchange people, you know, end up, you know, they're not, they're, they'll it eventually will get them out of there because it just doesn't work. And I mean, just going up a level here, that's the same. I think we've entered into the age of a, of sort of competition around money. Right. And it's, it's been this way for a long time. Different monies have always kind of been competing as like a societal thing. Um, we have the opportunity, you know, we shouldn't, as citizen, global citizens, we should choose the money that provides the most public good for the for the least negative externalities, right? And you know, you can add beautiful little sort of clarifications to that general equation, and people can express their values. There's not even going to be one. There's going to be for your culture and your context and your reality. What money expresses your values? provides the most public good and the least negative externalities. And that's, that's, I mean, that's what we're in right now. That's the, that's the era. That's the new digital currency revolution. Yeah. There's a whole new ecosystem that's exploded. It's the, what do they call that? The Cambrian explosion. And yeah. now it's kind of like who's going to find their niche and who's going to find their way. Um, ab absolutely. So, so I, you know, you gave us the utopic uh, vision of uh, how you, your guiding light, your Northern star that's mm. drawing you uh, with this company. So let's burrow down a little bit. How specifically uh, is your um, network going to be able to succeed at that? Yeah, I mean, in a very practical way, you know, yeah, I sort of went way up to the, to the, yeah, as you said, to the North Star in, in, in this moment right now, just to sort of distill and sort of talk about some of the pillars. What, what I realized was you need an apparatus to be able to have um, essentially a monitoring like claims, monitoring and verification of ecological health that that is sort of societal scale and yet like any individual can participate in. 
Um, and that's what you need in order to have your like value that's being exchanged, um, like be real and really rooted in what's happening in the earth somewhere, because I can't go tell what's happening in the soil somewhere else on the planet. I need someone, I need a group of people to sort of like, you know, in geeky blockchain world, this is called attestations. You know, you need a system for people, for people or machines or whatever to attest to what's happening. And then you sort of can generate consensus about that, 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 that this is happening. Okay, that foundation, it turns out, that's exactly the same foundation in the very near term that is needed to revolutionize um, real world business challenges like carbon markets, right? Which is sort of, you know, on the way, if you have a continuum of moneyness, <laughs> you know, a carbon credit is kind of on the way to money. You know, it's, uh, there's some fungibility and there's some tradability. Uh, it represents something, you know, it's sort of, it's on the way to currency maybe. So our go to market strategy, our way of sort of surviving and building and showing what's possible and piloting things and engaging community uh, has been centered on, um, the voluntary carbon markets, which is really driven by companies who are making commit climate commitments and trying to reduce their emissions to as close to zero or negative as possible. Um, and there's a mark, you know, there's a whole marketplace for that. And it turns out that blockchain sort of distributed ledger technology broadly sort of intersecting with um, satellite based remote sensing and other, you know, emerging technologies for earth observation sensors. There's a whole sort of field of like monitoring ecosystems that's, that's actually in, in a really exciting exponential curve, just like blockchain is. So you have blockchain, you have earth observation, science, machine learning, and these other things at the intersection of, of those technologies is really where we've been innovating to bring some products that real companies and real people, it just, it, they're better suited for companies and people who want to engage in climate action and have transparency and integrity and accountability connected with taking climate action. And so there's, you know, a really pragmatic, clear business sort of solution space for us to innovate in right there. Okay. So then, so as far, so as far as I understand it, it has a lot to do with the, the right now you're dealing a lot in carbon soil carbon and you're, you by, by detecting the soil carbon, then you will be able to enter that into a verifiable blockchain. Is that, do you want yeah, to? Yeah. So the blockchain serves two purposes. One is for sort of claim management and as a, um, who said what about where, when, you know, it's just a registry of the claims and you put essentially you hash up uh, the sort of the pointers to the off chain data and you create it. What essentially is you're minting an NFT, right? That has all of the specific metadata associated with the claim that represents this unit of carbon, right? So that it can be audited very, you know, cheaply and quickly by any anybody who's looking at it. Um, 
So, so the blockchain is used for sort of like claims management, right? And it's also used for asset generation and asset management because that gives you a unique, you know, a cryptographically unique asset that you that can't be double counted and that can be exchanged. So I can give it to you, you know, it can be retired so that, you know, you can basically send it to, you know, sort of a burn contract. And that's a registry like I've, I'm claiming the rights to have retired this carbon credit, which is the essential, re, you know, nature of a carbon market, which is that you're sort of, you have your emissions, you're trying to reduce those emissions by purchasing, you know, carbon that's been sequestered somewhere or hasn't been emitted somewhere. So you're purchasing the rights to sort of claim that and reduce your emissions. And so, you know, all of those functions are um, obviously all of that stuff can happen without a blockchain, but blockchains make a lot of it uh, more efficient. And so, so how do you, yes, yeah, sorry, Dave, did you have a, did no, you have no, a question? Go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. We're probably thinking uh, so, the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I, how do you get, how do you know that the data that they are collecting, like say they, is it they, like they have a tool that collects a soil sample and then it verifies how much carbon is in the soil. How do you get that into the digital space? How do you, how do you know that they are being honest about that? Well, <clears throat> it's less that we know it's more that once it goes up, they can't change their the results and so you know the the game theory here isn't about there only ever being completely accurate data going on the blockchain first off that's impossible because ecological science is probabilistic by nature anyway so there's always going to be so like the most accurate scientific instrument always has error <laughs> Even if someone's not cheating, there's always error and you just have to like account for that. What's important is, so how would I describe this? What, what we think the game theory here is that if you reduce the marginal cost to audit a claim to as close to zero as possible, then the incentives for cheating on that claim are next to nothing because it's very easy for somebody to check if you're cheating, right? And so what's important is making it simple for to, to assemble a claim and to, again, know exactly who said what, using what instrument or what methodology about where. And the higher degree of clarity and granularity that you have in a claim um, that's auditable, the more certainty a buyer has. So if you come across a carbon credit where none of that information is clearly represented and it would be impossible for you to audit it, you know it's riskier. If you come across a carbon credit in which all of that is like clearly represented and clearly organized and you double check and all the links are there, all the data is supporting it, you know, and you can just run a quick machine audit, you know, you're like, oh, maybe this carbon credit has higher integrity. That's not currently how carbon markets work. Carbon markets currently work with sort of the old brand trust model where it's like, oh, just trust me. It's all good. Right. Don't worry about all of that. And in fact, you know, to audit a current carbon, like a carbon credit in the current marketplace, you really have to spend, you know, like you have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars because you need to hire some expert who has domain expertise is, you know, a scientist 
uh, maybe a couple of them. And they have to like dig through all the methodologies and all the PDFs and go all through all this stuff and sort of like do a really um, arduous auditing process. And it isn't that, that, that those people, those people are still part of the system, right? You still need people to be able to audit and make, and it's just that you, we create an efficiency in everyone knowing the results of the audit <laughs> very quickly everyone knowing the results of the claim process very quickly. So it's really about sort of uh, bringing an existing process that is not deterministic. This isn't like, um, this isn't just computers competing each other to competing against each other to solve a math problem where there's only one right answer. That's not, that's not reality of living systems, right? This is about um, using that, the fact that that can happen and that we can create sort of computational integrity and certainty as a substrate for a much more sort of intersubjective process where I'm, so for instance, this is a walk through the process of a claim uh, around soil carbon. So, you know, there, there's a, someone takes a soil sample that person has their ID sort of registered in the system. They sign, they, they, they basically just, there's proof that they took the soil sample and where they took it and when they took it. And they just say, I took the soil sample and I'm registering that I took it and when I took it. <laughs> and then it gets into a lab and the lab says, we received the soil sample. And they say, here's the results of the soil sample. And, but, and then, you know, and then somebody else analyzes that, you know, okay, we took the results. We have satellite information. Where did we pull it from? We have the digital signature from the database this got pulled from. We, we know, you know, we just know all of the metadata about this. We're just assembling it. It's all kind of simple and basic. If you think about it, you're sort of just, you know, dotting I's and crossing T's is this very sort of boring bureaucratic registration process. It's like going down to the, you know, county registrar and getting like your stamp and your stuff. It's just sort of replicating these kind of like ancient processes. Again, who is making what claim about what place using what evidence? What's your evidence? Show your work. <laughs> just assemble all of that. And at the end, you have a threshold and once you've assembled enough evidence and the right people have looked at it and said, yes, this is true. I've, I've had a look at all of the supporting evidence. Um, a token is minted and that's the carbon credit. Essentially, you could think of it that way. And what we're doing is making it so that different people can come and basically um, choose the, the minting logic for different types of ecosystem service credits like carbon credits. Who do you need to sign off on this to believe that it's true? What method of knowing, of sensing, do you need? Do you need a machine learning algorithm to say that this is true? Do you need this academic you know, institution to say that this is true? Do you need both of them to say it's true? <laughs> Do you just need your neighbor to say it's true? I mean, this is, you know, the, the, at the end of the day, the, you, the buyers of the credits kind of get to define the threshold that they're willing to accept for the claim. And we're just trying to make that super simple uh, so that, 
you know, and it's complex, but make that threshold super simple so that the marketplace can really determine what the right level of kind of rigor around the claim is for the price of the asset. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can totally see where, where blockchain comes into this. So, I mean, what I'm hearing is um, transparency. You know, that's the big thing. People want to know what the information is, as much information as possible. They want to have easy access to it. They want to see it. They want to be able to share it so it can be verified among the communities. So I'm hearing transparency. I'm hearing decentralization, really. You know, it's not one place that decides, well, this is what a carbon credit is. We verified it. Here we go. This lets the people actually decide, okay, here's our parameters. These are the criteria that, that should be met in order for a carbon credit to be valid. Um, and it can be then decided and distributed in a transparent, immutable way too. So, so once the, the information's there, it's not going to get changed by somebody, you know, like, oh, it's not really fitting in. These people aren't buying it. Let's, you know, add a little flair to this or, or whatever it may be. Once it's created, it's, it's immutable, it's transparent, and it's really the people that decide the, the validity of it, right? I yeah. mean, it's, it, it's totally blockchain, the, the entire thing. That's, that's great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so where does the initial like where does the um, the monetary value of a carbon credit come from, <laughs> right? Like, so there's a market for carbon. I mean, there's a something like two hundred and twenty billion dollar market for carbon credits. Uh, it, it's growing at about a 30 percent per year right now. The estimates are that you know in order in order to even come close to keeping on track with the Paris climate commitments um the it's going to be between one and two trillion dollars per annum carbon markets the, the the part of carbon markets that are natural climate solutions is going to be between one and two trillion dollars per annum that price is currently that price essentially represents a calculation of the monetary or economic risk associated with climate change divided up by all the tons of carbon emission and that's you know like swiss re and the bank of england and you know even the petroleum companies have come out with studies saying we assess carbon emissions with the following sort of risk and that currently is between you know like the bank of england said Carbon risk, you know, it's $100 per ton of CO2 is what they're calculating carbon risk at. Current European compliance market, carbon credit futures are trading at about $50 right now. You know, uh, voluntary carbon markets are between $4 and $8. Um, we sold the credits that we sold to Microsoft were just a little under $13 per ton. Um, you know, it, it, there's a broad stretch right now, but the price of carbon is going up and everybody's in this big scramble to try to provide this source of carbon. And, and you know, so here we could get into there's sort of different types of, of you know, carbon credits. And, and broadly speaking, there's sort of there's sort of three main types of carbon credits. There's um, emissions reductions, which are uh, 
you know, emissions re reduction or, or avoided emissions, which are things like by doing some efficiency in refrigerators or by switching to solar, um, we're, we're emitting less, right? There's less emissions taking place. Um, by not chopping this forest down and burning it, we're, we're not emitting that carbon. So th those things are sort of uh, emission reduction. It's broadly speaking, it's the emission reduction. And then there's um, carbon removal or, um, or negative emissions, where you actually have a system that's like removing carbon from the atmosphere, right? And, and that's, and land use can kind of, there can be both, like not chopping down a forest, you're calculating, you know, if, if a forest is in a high risk area and could get chopped and burned, then it, in some systems you can, you, if you preserve the forest, you can claim the amount of carbon that would have been emitted if it was burned down, sort of, which is, which is different from accounting for how much carbon that forest is actually sequestering, which is a much slower process, right? Um, in, in the case of the, the car carbon credits we're most excited about, we're actually talking about storage and, and drawdown, like sequestration from the atmosphere into soil, sequestration from the atmosphere into forests through reforestation. That's the type of carbon credit I'm most excited about. And I think we try to focus on at Regen Network. The third and but that tends to be fairly short term storage, like a, a, a living carbon cycle. The carbon is being stored for 10, 25, 50, maybe even up to 100 years in different systems. The science is kind of variable. <laughs> there, there is a lot of work to be done on really being able to know exactly how that carbon cycle's working you know, full transparency. That's part of the reason for having a transparent sort of versioned accounting system. So you can actually see like this version of carbon credits, we had this assumption, right? Everybody can see it. <laughs> it's just clear there. And then you can update it. You can say, well, this next version, we had to make this adjustment and everybody can see the adjustment take place and sort of like participate in that process. So, um, so the third type of carbon credits, broadly speaking, are long-term removals where they're doing, they're like, you know, sinking carbon into deep, you know, geothermal wells for thousands of years sort of thing, you know. Um, hmm. So there's sort of those three areas that people that are sort of considered and you know we can geek out more on so i want to i just want to stop you i mean that's awesome and i mean it does sound pretty complicated but you kind of brushed over this point you said that microsoft bought a bunch of carbon credits so what how does the how do technology companies like microsoft fit into all this why would they buy carbon credits like yeah i mean well microsoft has taken a lead in um they, they sort of created this big, um, bold pledge to become completely carbon neutral, uh, sorry, carbon negative by 2030, which, you know, if I'm not mistaken, it's like wow. nine years Half from now. Years. Yeah. <laughs> um, on our door. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that includes all a hundred percent of their emissions starting in, uh, when Bill Gates was like messing around in his garage all oh, the wow. way until now, including if you're running alt space VR or windows or whatever, all of it, all of it, you know, the full 
everything that they could possibly account for and take responsibility, all of it, plus they want to be completely carbon negative. So they have a very ambitious climate program. And um, you know, as part of that, they had a request for carbon removal um, instruments or assets. And we entered that process. We have a really fantastic science team that's that working at this edge of sort of applied remote sensing and quantifying soil carbon and verifying everything and trying to sort of intersect that with blockchain and sort of creating an open, a fully open source ecosystem for making claims. And we applied to the, the RFP and we were one of two soil carbon um, you know, projects that they chose and they purchased all of our like last year's pilot credits that we were running pilots with um, ranchers in Australia actually. And they just wow. sort of bought all of that. And it was, it was fantastic for us and very exciting. Um, a lot of work, you know, a lot of due diligence, a lot of, you know, old fashioned legal paperwork and, and all this sort of stuff, but also very yeah. exciting because all wow. of that is going to be represented. All of those credits will be represented on the blockchain when it launches, you know, as retired, you know, we'll have sort of be launching with, you know, it's, Amazing. Wow. So what about like uh, uh, Bitcoin? We always hear, you know, the, the mining rigs and everything. They're what it's the much energy is a small country they're consuming. And yeah, and is there a place for blockchain and, and is carbon reduction or something that your own company is looking into doing similar to Microsoft? Yeah, well, definitely not just company, but, you know, region network as a network will be fully carbon negative at a protocol level. So we'll just be offsetting all of the transactions and all of the compute um, power and, you know, all of that for the whole network. We're also talking with um, other protocols um, who are, you know, Cosmos Hub, um, Solana, um, Pivx, um, there's just a, there's a variety of different sort of forward looking, um, blockchain protocols, mostly proof of stake that we've been chatting with about offsetting their whole protocol, basically. So the whole, so just participating and engaging, um, we've been, we Cello, we've been talking a lot with Cello about, about this. So very excited about sort of protocol level, um, it's just balancing ecological impact as a, you know, in the near term, as a way of sort of building awareness and sort of, you know, there's a market right now. We've also been um, talking a lot and supporting NFT artists and, and talking with some NFT platforms about doing offsetting for, you know, what, what, what's taking place. So that's all very exciting. It, also, we've been talking with one of the largest Bitcoin mining pools about offsetting their Bitcoin mining. Lots of really cool stuff happening. I will say, you know, the difference between um, like Ethereum or Bitcoin and a proof of stake network is just completely nuts. You know, a proof of stake network burns less greenhouse gases in a year than Ethereum does in a day. Just wow. to like... Yeah. You know, you could have the same transactions and the same activity on a proof of stake network versus a proof of work network. And it really is. It's it's less than a day's emissions for the Ethereum. It's a rounding error in terms of <laughs> a proof Jeez. of work networks. And it, 
I mean, there are things that proof of work networks can do. And, and there, honestly, there probably is a, an important role for some amount of proof of work taking place because, you know, there's something, you know, there's some really amazing things you can do with like, you know, uh, uh, the right amount of proof of work in a ecosystem. And I think we could like draft off of, you know, the right proof of work algorithm, the whole ecosystem could benefit from that. Is it, you know, and it may just end up being Bitcoin and it just, just might be the, how, how it is, uh, you know, hopefully Ethereum will, you know, sort of move on from proof of work. Um, I, so that is all just to say that I'm in no way like a hater of proof of work necessarily. Things get way blown out of, it'd be easy for me to just be like, yeah, proof of work is stupid and you know, whatever, but, but it's more complex than that, you know? And, and I think we need to take a holistic accounting, like proof of work at, gets a really bad name and people are all, there's lots of FUD and just, you know, it's just uh, a whole circus and, um, I don't know. I like got blocked by this, you know, sort of this environmentalist guy recently on Twitter because he was hating on Bitcoin. And I was, you know, I don't really hold Bitcoin. I don't really, you know, I don't really love Bitcoin. I don't think it's the, the coolest thing. I don't like it. I can't, I've lost. Oh, yeah. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so I was trying to make the point that um, if you just start to calculate the environmental cost of the U.S. dollar as the global reserve currency, like the petrodollar as the global reserve currency, you know, you have to account for the entire U.S. military, which enforces global dominance of the reserve currency for the planet. You have to calculate um, algorithmic crazy high frequency algorithmic trading which is way more than bitcoin is that like the the computational intensity of like high frequency algorithmic trading right. is insane right. yep you, you have to calculate just all of these things it's not just like visa transactions and let alone just calculating visa transactions and bank transactions all that stuff you add all of that stuff up and all of a sudden a bunch of computers competing against each other in like random algorithmic lotteries is slight, at least slightly less insane <laughs> as a basis for, you know, sort of like a global currency. I still think it's kind of crazy because you can virtualize that competition and that's what proof of stake does. And it's pretty cool and it's very efficient. Um, but it's still just perspective sometimes is useful. <laughs> I get myself in trouble though, because people wanted just an easy thing to hate. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of the, the whole old model. It doesn't count. It's just not just the paper that the dollar was printed on, but it's everything that backs it. That's really the, 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 the entire paradigm shift that we're headed into where it's becoming just a bunch of, uh, you know, spinning uh, hard drives in a, in a warehouse somewhere in, you know, Mongolia or something. Yeah. And, and hopefully they will, that technology will be driven to get more efficient miners and things like that. So I think, um, there's a lot of ways that that is, uh, improving on a daily basis. Um, so the, I had one other uh, question for you. So I guess, you know, the people, um, the people that you really, uh, need to reach out to are all the landowners, right? All the, 
all the farmers, all the people that own the land that they can carbon test. So uh, hopefully we can help do that. But how are you um, going out and just like you, for example, you mentioned an Australian uh, um, farmer. And how do you find these people? How do you get them aware of this uh, program? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a couple ways to put that. I mean, so my background is working with farmers. So that helps. Um, I think we have sort of a we we were able to inherit great relationships and a big network of uh, land stewards from all over the world who are doing fantastic work. So that's sort of um, we have sort of an inside advantage there. Um, the also, yeah, I mean, we have a web page, right, where land stewards can go and they can sign up. Um, and, you know, we kind of are building a uh, a community of land stewards who are sort of participating in the platform. Um, also, regenerative ag and carbon markets. I mean, it's not just us. This is a whole thing. You know, this is a big thing. I mean, the Biden administration is about to pass a bunch of legislation about ag carbon markets in the United States. We've been working for, you know, we've been working for two years through the whole crypto bear market. What we what were we doing? We were working with the USDA on a, you know, USDA grant to build open source technology for monitoring and making claims about agriculture carbon possible. So, you know, so we have a bunch of great connections with with not just farmers, but you know, institutions like the USDA or companies who work with farmers. Um, I think that's the best way is reaching out through intermediary organizations, co-ops, um, aggregators, extension agencies, um, you know, um, and obviously also directly to farmers. And, I, you know, uh, one of the things that I'm most excited about is actually building community amongst all of these groups in a meaningful way. And um, at the end of the day, that's, you know, sort of having generating a social consensus about the value that land stewards provide to society, the public goods, not just wheat, but water quality and air quality and biodiversity, just the foundation for a healthy planet <laughs> really depends on the humans who are stewarding landscapes, right? And those are the, like valuing those public goods and honoring land stewards to do so, incentivizing them, but also just not even monetary incentive, but just like acknowledging that that's taking place is I think really compelling for land stewards. Just sort of, you know, people, land stewards are pretty stoked, not just economically, but I think also I don't know, just sort of socially or maybe even spiritually, it's a fulfilling thing to know that what you're doing matters to other people. So, you know, I think that is really a driver for land stewards to be engaging with us. And as I said, it's it's a much bigger movement. I mean, we're, you know, somewhat leaders in the space. We're, we're among leading sort of um, companies and institutions, but it's a big movement. I mean, this is a big thing that's happening. It's not just us. This is, as I said, you know, $220 billion market of carbon globally. There's a small fraction of that right now that's in agriculture and land use, but it's still, you know, it's not small and it's growing very quick. So it's a, it's a big community. Wow. Yeah. 
No, I'm glad that you asked that question, Graham. That was kind of what I was thinking too. I've got a friend. He uh, he just bought 55 acres, and he's he's excited to be a land steward. And really, I was like, land steward? Well, I thought you're just like just own some land. And he's like, no, it's cool. Like we can, we've got this whole, you know, the whole ecosystem right here. And, and I'm the one that's stewarding it. Like we're going to, you know, have our farm and we're going to, you know, make sure that this place is taken care of, you know, and, and you're right, uh, Gregory, I think they're, they're, they would be grateful just to be recognized. You know, the, the impact that land stewards are making is undervalued in my opinion. Absolutely. And there's a really exciting thing. I'm actually just as excited about non, um, like non-commodified um, ways of honoring land stewards. I think like art, NFT-based art, you know, um, different sort of agreements where, you know, just the community. Yeah. Just, there's just so many ways I think. And that's one of the cool things about launching a public blockchain that's dedicated to this is there's so much room for sort of innovation and engagement and creativity. Like we're focused right now on carbon credits, which honestly are kind of boring and, you know, it's very bureaucratic and there's this whole institutional apparatus and how it works and all these rules. And, uh, sometimes I just want to pull my hair out right around all that stuff. It's not that and in a way it sort of misses the point. The, the point is something more about connection and um, relationship and reciprocity and reimagining, you know, the role of um, currency and commerce and society in relationship to all of that. And the cool thing, again, about having a public network is we can build the modules and the, the, the software and the marketplace for this very sort of like institutional adoption use case. But it's on a public open source blockchain where it can be sitting right next to an amazing, you know, curated eco art gallery that is honoring land stewards. It's by and for land stewards expressing like digital visions of their regenerative landscapes in collectibles and where people are just buying collectibles to fund the thing that they want to happen in their community. Or, you know, there's just, there's so many different things that can happen that are kind of resonant and complementary, And, uh, that's what I'm really excited about. I mean, you know, just moving back to the fact that we're launching our main net in, you know, uh, two weeks. Um, that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited to unleash the creativity of a whole community in this, you know, in this direction, um, and just see what happens because I think it's going to be, be beyond sort of my wildest imagination, essentially what what it becomes possible well i think that the vision is really inspiring and really cool i love what you're doing if you can if you could achieve and i've i've really we're all uh rooting for you and in any way we can help we will uh if you can achieve your mission uh it's gonna it's gonna change the world so uh thank you so much for putting that out there even, and then putting your blood, sweat and tears behind it and sacrificing your years and your time and getting all the organization together. This can't be easy. I can't, it's just sort of my head spins, just thinking of the logistics of what you're doing. Uh, so uh, it's just inspiring and it's really great to hear. I'm, I'm so glad uh, that you're, you're about to take that big leap into the public market. 
Um, so how can, how can people get in touch with you or how can they um, find out more about the project? Yeah, well, I mean, you can uh, check out the website, region.network. Um, we have a fantastic Discord channel. Um, there's a lot of activity, really welcoming community. You know, come with your questions, comments. Um, you know, there's sort of subcategories for land stewards. If you want to go and connect with la other land stewards, you know, there's scientists there, there's developers. So it's really, you know, pretty active, awesome community of people putting this all together. Um We'll be doing a launch ceremony on the 15th. If people want to come and join us, you're going to get to see a lot of the community, you know, scientists, engineers, farmers, people running the validator nodes, just like it's taken a whole village to, to pull this all together. So lots of different people, lots of other voices besides mine. Um, so that'll be happening on the 15th. Um, and we'll have, de there's details on the website and, and whatnot. Um, yeah, I don't know. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm always ranting about this, this stuff. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know what else to say, you know, come join. If you're a developer, check out GitHub and like, you know, gosh, it's going to take a whole big community. Like come help us out. We need front end and back end and all, you know, all sorts of stuff. We're going to start doing some community grants. Uh, right now there's a Gitcoin hackathon going on where there's a bounty, you know, there's stuff, there's just a lot of stuff. So if people are, if this piques your interest and you know, you're any kind of human who thinks that this might be cool, there's probably a need for you somewhere. <laughs> Great. Anything else, Dan, before we, uh, before we let Gregory get back to work? <laughs> uh, it's a lot of information. I'm, I'm still just trying to take it in, but yeah, no, thank you so much for taking your time to, to come and talk to us today. Um, I'm completely blown away and I'm sure everybody listening is just, I mean, Graham said it, you know, thank you so much for pouring your heart and soul into this. Like our planet needs this and we need more people like you. It's, it's, it's a pleasure to know you. Yeah. Well, thank you. And thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be on. And uh, yeah, you know, I wouldn't, what else would I be doing? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, go ahead. Cool. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah. just you just do you and everybody's, you know, different ways of everybody doing themselves. And I'm grateful to have an awesome team and a great opportunity to build something good. So yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you for teleporting into this Worldcast of Simulation Nation, whether you're with us in virtual reality, kind of, or 2D, or listening to the podcast a week from now on Spotify or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our Instagram at The Simulation Nation, Twitter at SimNationVR, Facebook and Discord, and join us next week for our interview with digital artist Dan Denzara, the madman behind Lost in Time Designs. Until then, stay plugged, my friends.